Welcome to Intelligence Talks from the research team at Knight Frank. Intelligence Talks brings you the latest insights on property market trends and forecasts, along with expert analysis from industry leaders. I'm Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. While Superprime sales fell during the first half of 2020 compared to last year, average sales prices are actually increasing despite the pandemic. In this episode, our Global Head of Prime Sales, Paddy Dring, delves into Knight Frank's recent report on high-end residential, which on the global average price rose by 15% for the March to June period. He takes a close look at Los Angeles, Hong Kong and London, and at the end reveals where he would invest $20 million. So I'll hand over to Paddy as he introduces his guests for today's episode. I'm delighted to be joined this afternoon by Flora, an associate in the Global Prime residential research team and author of the report. Ernie Carswell in LA, California, one of the premier brokers with Knight Frank's residential strategic alliance partner, Douglas Elliman, and Charles Penny in London, partner in our private office and specialist in the prime central London market, over 10 million, including London's best new developments. He also wears the hat as our ambassador for Hong Kong and in normal times is regularly traveling between London and Hong Kong. You're all very welcome and thank you so much for joining. I want to start by asking Flora to take us through the key findings of the report and then ask Charles and Ernie for their first-hand experiences and knowledge in their respective markets. So the headline of the report was that 150 residential real estate transactions above 10 million took place globally during lockdown. Flora, please take us through your findings. Thanks, Paddy. Well, we know that the pandemic has weighed on property transactions globally, but we wanted to take stock of what was happening in the global superprime markets, which is those defined as above $10 million. So we gathered data on sales for 12 global locations. What we found was in the first six months of 2020, there were 281 superprime transactions, which was less than half of the 594 that we saw in the first half of 2019. But as you said, there was a positive surprise in that over 150 of these have taken place since March, since the coronavirus was labelled as a global pandemic. Hong Kong retains its crown as the most active superprime market with 41 since March. This is followed by Los Angeles, which in previous years was in fifth place as the most active market behind New York and London. So this was quite a surprise for Los Angeles. In terms of the whole of 2020 so far, the January to June period, and it's Sydney which has been our standout market, the only market where transactions have risen with 15 superprime sales in the first half of 2020 compared to the 13 in the first half of 2019. Something else that was really interesting about the research is that the average value of transactions in this market segment was up 15% for the March to June period when compared to the same time last year. This is an average transaction of almost $21 million. London saw its average at the highest level at the top end of the market. And this demonstrates the strength of our ultra prime segment, which is 25 million plus, which we also explore in the report. And in terms of sales volumes, it's London which has led this for 2020 so far. Thank you, Flora. Some fascinating statistics there. I'm going to go to Ernie first in LA. LA, as you said, Flora, number two on the list and makes up 35 out of the total 150 deals, down 40% on the same period last year. That's all considering the lockdown. And I would like to just ask also particular 
interest on why the average value has risen, the average price value has risen, and the profile of your buyers. Ernie. Thank you, Patty. Here in Los Angeles, which usually behaves contrary to most of the world, as we know and love about LA, but we have seen 34 of those transactions are above the $20 million mark, with the highest being $165 million. This is still a booming market, even in the year of the pandemic, which has surprised us, but we are going with the momentum. There's an additional 12 residences that were listed above $20 million but sold in the $17 to $19 million category. So that's quite a package of super prime closings in this year. And Ernie, give us a little more insight into how you see and what you see the key drivers of this incredible activity. There is the flight to quality, Patty, as we typically see in the luxury markets when there is concern Buyers go to the prime quality locations. Here in this city, those would be Beverly Hills, Bel Air. We call these neighborhoods the Platinum Triangle. They also include Brentwood, Santa Monica. But a lot is happening primarily in Bel Air and Beverly Hills. We still have 81 homes that are listed above 20 million. So this is quite an assortment of properties to select from for affluent buyers. And I believe we're noticing the properties that are transacting have more acreage, more privacy. They're further from dense cosmopolitan locations. The city of Beverly Hills has a village setting, but there is density there. So in our city, Sunset Boulevard is a great marker of where the geography changes and Bel Air is all above Sunset Boulevard and that's where a lot of this activity is focused. And when talking earlier you mentioned that the average age of your buyers is changing. Talk to us about that. Yes it's it's getting younger Patty. This is the millennial age range which is really ages 24 to 39 but what we're seeing locally is there's a 48% increase in home ownership rate for the ages 30 to 34. And a good percentage of those buyers are in the luxury prime market category. So we have wealth in the millennial sector and they are buying homes. They're coming out of apartments or multifamily settings and getting into single family residential purchases. Great. So no surprises, Ernie. Location, location, location is what I'm hearing. The need for greater space, and hence I suspect the absolute focus on your larger properties and an encouraging trend as the buyers are proving to be younger. Charles, turning to you in London, interesting story. The volumes are down by more than 60%, but I believe London, Flora told us earlier, has seen the largest increase in average transaction value, which is up by a staggering 22 million compared to the average level seen in the same period in the previous year. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting statistic, isn't it? But I'm definitely on the coalface seeing this. Buyers that are willing to transact in the market currently, they are certainly very, very focused. As Ernie was saying, and I think is true of many of the gateway cities, there is always a flight to quality, and especially in, in times of, of uncertainty. 
and buyers that are in the market currently are very focused. We have very few people that are speculative. I think moving back earlier in the year, we had a lot of pent up demand from 2019 that came through into this year. And that meant that January through to March was very promising. There was a lot of activity now that we were out of the political uncertainty from last year. During the lockdown, thankfully, many of the deals that were done, or at least agreed before the lockdown, proceeded to exchange and complete without issue, or at least very few fell through. And actually of that percentage of deals that didn't proceed, many of those were put back together quite quickly with new buyers. I personally, I was really encouraged with how quickly we emerged from the lockdown. And it wasn't just buyers, but sellers as well, really underlying that the, the recovery was not totally demand-led. And this led and translated to June statistically being a phenomenal month. I think if I recite this correctly, it was a record high in terms of offers accepted for as long as 20 years that we've been running that data. And on the ground, I think buyers and sellers have a, a sensible awareness of the potential for a second wave of the virus and keeping an eye on, on how the rest of this year proceeds and unravels. But there does seem to be a positive sentiment across the market currently. And I think in the, the Knight Frank's attitudes survey that came out in the Wealth Report earlier this year, it shows a fundamental want to have real estate as a main component in any private high net worth portfolio. And I think for those reasons, London, as with places like Los Angeles or, or Hong Kong, are going to be high up on the wish list. I'm sure that's right. And I'm sure that the level of interest rates and cheap debt that is available is also a, a helpful factor. And I know you've certainly seen that evident in London. Are there any interesting analogies to draw between a preference or is it pretty equal between new developments and resale individual properties? It's very interesting. Obviously, at the moment, the new developments have a bit of a head start on the rest of the market, especially when we were in lockdown in terms of being prepared to sell remotely. Uh, and in a market where obviously the logistics of being able to view properties and, and trade was impinged by the lockdown, a lot of the luxury residential developments were in a great position. They already have all of their luxury films and lifestyle imagery and so on. But I think the rest of the market is definitely catching up with that. We definitely saw a trend initially in the rental market and then in the sales market of people looking to decentralize. So a lifestyle-led decision, either upgrading the, the size or the amount of outside space or, or simply the privacy and, and quality of home they are buying. And obviously, stamp duty changes have encouraged that temporarily in the lower end. And at the top of the market, I think we're still benefiting from sterling, reflecting good value at the moment. But uh, it really depends on the mindset of a buyer, whether it's convenience over quality of, of property and space. Absolutely. And just turning to Hong Kong, you have a great experience of Hong Kong. Hong Kong is very much on the minds of many of our clients, particularly our vendors at the moment, very much in the press. Tell us what you've seen in Hong Kong in terms of the market there. I think they saw the highest number of sales during lockdown at 41 out of the 150. So just any comments you have on that would be very helpful. And also what you're seeing in terms of Hong Kong investors looking overseas and uh, obviously with a particular focus on London. So obviously Hong Kong entered lockdown because of COVID-19 a little sooner than, than the UK. And at that time, some sellers were minded to enter the market with the purpose of selling either for recycling capital into their own businesses or into other better performing asset classes. And then latterly, Hong Kong came out and emerged out of the lockdown sooner than ours. And obviously, because of great track and trace technology, occupancy in, in offices and so on, picked up much sooner. So I can totally understand why Hong Kong is at the top of their list. And outward facing in terms of investment overseas, there's clearly a great deal of push and pull factors now. 
I think it will come down to the individual at what locations they want to invest in and what their investment rationale is. But it is quite clear that at all levels of the market, sitting here in London, we are having a lot of conversations and helping buyers with their due diligence and research, eyeing up a, a purchase later this year or early next year. As the market opens up and as travel at some stage becomes easier, so that will bring back the higher volume of international buyers, which is so important for the markets in question. So not surprisingly, uh, some common themes recurring out of your markets, which I believe give us reasons to be positive about the future, accepting there will be moments of reflection and, of course, sentiment coming under pressure. But we must not forget that stock or inventory, as you call it, Ernie, in the States, is comparatively short in supply and down by up to, I think, 20, 30 percent in some markets over those 12 key markets that we're looking at. So turning to the present and our views for the future, I think we all agree that our clients want our opinion and to feel reassured whether they are buying or selling. So, Charles, turning back to London for a moment, what are buyers and sellers today saying and what are your thoughts and top tips for them for the more immediate future? Well, I think touching on buyers first, any buyers that are looking for any distressed assets or, or cheap deals are, are becoming mightily frustrated for the reasons touched upon earlier in the call, due to either mortgage holidays or low interest rates or just generally bigger equity buffers in properties, uh, very differently to 2007 and eight. of course. We're not seeing sellers be under the pressure that perhaps one or two buyers might expect. My advice to sellers, obviously in any difficult time over the next six to, to 12 months is obviously look into the market research, uh, listen to your agents clearly, and also get the pricing right. There are some fantastic buyers at the moment, but all are displaying the same attention to detail and efficiency in the space that they are looking to buy. So Ernie, turning to LA, what are your buyers and sellers saying and what are your thoughts and top tips for the immediate future? Well, Patty, interestingly, to your point about the decreasing inventory here in the luxury market of Los Angeles, we've seen a 40% decrease for new listings launched in July of 20 compared over July of 2019, a year ago. That's a 40% decrease in new listings. But we've had a 189% increase in newly signed contracts comparing July 20 through to July 2019 last year. So those are interesting statistics to show and demonstrate what's happening in Los Angeles prime real estate. The squeeze play is occurring. There is diminishing inventory of high quality. The only exception to that is new construction housing in the luxury sector. We do have more inventory than usual in our prime residential new construction category because Los Angeles has had a building boom since year 2013, and all of those homes have recently come to available status. So we're not seeing the price being adjusted for the pandemic to the degree that some in the public might expect. We're noticing only about a 5.3% price adjustment in the luxury category for house contract sales. So not so much a discount, but properties that do perform in this market must be in excellent condition and be in the best locations. And that's where they will be 
mostly undisturbed on their pricing. But if you are on the fringe of any of those amenities, you're going to be hit a little harder with a bargain buyer mentality. All in all, we have not seen that much diminishment in the amount of closings occurring with only a 3.3% diminishment comparing July 20 over July 2019. So, you know, when the pandemic began here in Los Angeles, which was mid-March for our lockdown, we saw about a 20% fallout of deals that were in process. That wasn't so bad, really, given that that meant 80% of our deals carried through and closed, even as the lockdown was descending upon us. So we're more robust in Los Angeles than some of the other United States cities that have been harder hit, especially if they're dense metropolitan areas. Thank you, Ernie. I think you make a very important point that there are not the discounts that perhaps were expected and that the markets have been far more robust. And that's you know, as a result of perhaps the pent-up demand in certain markets. And I think also the fact that the markets actually have been correcting in some cases since 2014. I certainly know in London and New York and, and others that are in R12, they've been correcting and prices have come off by 20% or more in some cases, particularly if you add in currency. So there isn't the negotiation margin that people have expected. So I think that's a very valuable point to take forward and certainly one for clients and buyers to think about. So now just going to Flora, you've got the crystal ball, Flora. Your thoughts for the immediate future? I'm not quite sure about the crystal ball. Um, I think many wish they had that as it's all so uncertain at the moment. And that's one of the key things that investors and people are looking at is that over the last five years, we've seen the level of political, economic, geopolitical uncertainty build. And we're now at a huge level, some may say peak uncertainty, and it doesn't seem that any of this is going to go away in the immediate future. I think what many people are realising is that they need to act now and take advantage of certain opportunities before they diminish. We're also seeing this flight to capital because of this level of uncertainty and property fits into this as one of those traditional safe havens in the time of turbulence. We're not just seeing that flight to safety in property markets, we're seeing it across the world in currencies and commodities. And just to demonstrate that last week, we saw gold hit $2,000 for the first time ever. And it's one of those traditional safe haven assets. So I think the key takeaway is uncertainty isn't going away anytime soon. And it's now time to start acting to capitalise on some of the opportunities out there. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you, Flora. I'd like to conclude the podcast by just asking each of you where you would invest $20 million. Firstly, in your home markets, where would you be putting that money? And secondly, abroad. If you had to choose one location abroad, where would it be? Ernie. In Los Angeles, I would select something in our mountain or canyon neighborhoods, which are Bel Air and Beverly Hills, north of Sunset Boulevard. These are beautiful geographic locations in our city, giving a little bit more distance between home sites, the feeling of more nature coming into the domicile, just beautiful quality of life in those neighborhoods. And Charles? For me, and it's somewhat influenced by what is going on, but I would be buying a a block of apartments at the smaller end of of the scale in London. During the lockdown, out of all of the managed real estate sectors, private rented sector performed best in class, uh, over 95%. 
of rent was still received. I think that there's a it's a socially backed investment when there's always going to be demand for good rental stock in London. So that's where I would invest in a prime central London location. Brilliant. And Flora, you've got the choice of everywhere. You've got all the statistics. Where would you go? I think for me, I'd like to go to Sydney. As I said, it was one of our standout markets for the first half of 2020 and the only that saw transactions rise year on year for the first six months. And it's got some lovely waterfront properties, a good climate, a relaxed lifestyle, transparent government and taxes who have been perceived as handling the pandemic well. And it's quite spectacular in the fact that you don't need a passport and you can go ski in the morning or swim at the beach in the afternoon, although it might be a little bit cold. So I think for me, it would have to be Sydney. So my choices in the UK would be country in a farm. Farmland is coming as a scarce resource and certainly in terms of availability on the market. And then if I was investing abroad, New York would definitely be my chosen city today where I think there are some wonderful opportunities and some extraordinary new developments. If you enjoyed this episode of Intelligence Talks, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also make sure to share this episode on social media and check out the show notes for more information. Thank you.